To the show. I am very excited to introduce her to all of you because I met her very recently, but I feel like we've been friends forever. Um, I instantly clicked with her when I met her. She is so creative. Um, she does something I wish I could do, but she also tries to teach people um, her artistic skills. I wanted to introduce Amy Malkin today. Um, she's a public artist, entrepreneur, entrepreneur, sorry, Amy, and community developer. She is best known for her contemporary style infused with Indian and Asian motifs within her murals and art installations. Over the past five years, Malkin has facilitated the design, coordination, and production of over 30 public art projects across the Houston area and around the globe. These projects have been co-created with the involvement of over 10,000 area youth, artists, and hundreds of community stakeholders. In her personal time, Malkin is a mother, an avid runner. She enjoys dancing, traveling, and spending quality time with her family. So Amy, I wanted to welcome you. Thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to talk to you because I appreciate art. I love art. I just don't know how to draw anything but a stick figure. So. Um, do you want to say anything else or add anything to your bio or let people know anything about yourself? Um, yeah. So hi, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for choosing me to be a guest on your podcast, Shania. And I, you know, I, the feeling is mutual. I'm so glad that we uh, are cro- our paths crossed and uh, instant connection. And when I meet another like badass South Asian woman, like I'm like, clinging on for dear life. I'm like, you, whether you like it or not, we're going to be best friends. So uh, uh, I felt that connection with you and I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much. Okay. So let's get to the nitty gritty and get started. Yeah. Number one, we, you can't, we can't not address the elephant in the room, COVID-19, who nobody wants. Sure. Anymore. Can't stand it. But I wanted to definitely ask you, how is it affecting you, your life, and your business? And so it's a two-part question. And number two, how are you getting through that and helping others through that? Sure. I mean, that's a really good question. And I think people are are curious to hear how everyone is holding up and not wanting to feel alone. Uh, I'm a full-time artist. I do this for a living and this is how I provide for my son. So I'm a single mom as well. And it has definitely impacted my business uh, for several reasons. One, I had a lot of uh, projects that have been postponed, uh, not canceled. And I'll, I'll explain why I'm making an emphasis on the word distinguish, uh, distinct, distinction. There we go. That was the word I was looking for. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, and so that was a big chunk of my income that I was expecting last month in March. And now I'm, you know, just restructuring my business and coming up with ways to adapt to this new environment. Uh, so that's what I'm working on professionally for my business, you know, personally, it's a little bit difficult, you know, for me. I mean, the first week, the first week and a half was fine, but I think, you know, me and my son, being together now for two weeks, two and a half weeks, three weeks, it's a lot, you know, Um, not only am I juggling to run a business, apply for all these grants and loans, but I'm also having to give my undivided attention to my two-year-old toddler. And uh, I don't own a TV. I never have owned a TV, but I am really look, I'm probably going to have to buy a TV uh, and succumb to that because it's difficult wearing all of these hats. You know, crazy thing is I was having a conversation with another badass mompreneur and she was like, how are you staying sane? And I'm like, there's no way. I mean, I was like, we can't do everything. 
And she was beating herself up because she felt like she wasn't meeting her deadline quotas for her own business. And I'm like, look, we got to give each other a break because it seems as if we have all this time on our hands, but never before were we multitasking at this level. Like we can't be a mom, a school teacher, you know, a wife or whatever other hats you're wearing. So it's like giving yourself a break and working at a space at a pace that is, you know, uh, convenient to you um, and makes sense to you. And so that's how I've been staying sane is I'm, I'm giving myself opportunity to be what in whatever space I need to be in. So this past weekend, I didn't do shit. <laughs> I, I laid in bed all day and I watched Ozark and I finished the entire season, which I'm mad about because now I saw that Netflix hasn't, you know, renewed the fourth season yet. And I'm like, well, crap, what's about to go down with the birds? And I love that show. I love that show. And I'm upset too. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, for me, it's like, I'm to answer your question, you know, long story short is I am not beating myself up and I'm, I'm just accepting whatever space I'm in. I woke up this morning and I'm like, I don't want to lay in bed. I want to get shit done. I want to kick ass, take names. You know, got a workout in of uh, handling emails, applying for grants. Now I'm here doing, a, you know, working on a new art piece. And now I'm here doing a podcast with you. And this is the space that I'm in. And if tomorrow I wake up and I want to lay in bed till 12, 1 o'clock, I'm going to do it. So um, it's just, I'm just taking it a day at a time and not beating myself up for it. I mean, that's amazing. And, you know, I don't have children and I hate to say it, but I'm so grateful I don't right now because I have a niece and she's eight years old and she was coming over before the lockdown started happening in Houston. And I, you know, they're kids. What are you, what, how much Play-Doh and how much drawing and coloring are they going to do? You know, and I was talking to my mother who has five children, including there's four, there's four, I have four siblings and then there's me. So she's, given birth to five children. And I was like, you know, what do you do with these kids all day? Because I tried to get her to read a book and paint and, you know, all those things that they push on moms to be the best moms ever. Like, don't let them watch TV. Don't let them be on their iPad. And so I was doing all that. And she was like, you know what? Uh, You just let them watch TV for like four hours if they want, because sometimes you need a break. And I used to let you guys watch TV on the weekend sometimes for hours at a time because I needed you guys to get away from me. And that's the most real thing I ever heard because she's like, don't beat yourself up. There's no perfect mother. You all turned out okay. And sometimes you watch TV for five hours straight and I didn't care. And I still have no regrets about it. So I then turned on the TV for her. She watched like three movies in a row, (laughs) like six hours. But um, after the six hours, she was like, Hey, do you want to like go take a walk outside all by herself? So I applaud you if you need to get a television and put him in front of an iPad for a while so you can get some work done. I don't think anyone's judging you because again, I don't have children, but having my niece over that's eight for even a day is like, was making me mental. Yeah. You know, I, I like all, all the rules that's like out the window. Everyone is like in uncharted territory right now. And, you know, we're just trying to figure out what the new norm looks like. And, you know, unfortunately my son is two and he has no idea how to sit. Like I use my laptop sometimes to put on movies. If I need a break, he'll like watch it for like 30 seconds. And then he's like, Ooh, squirrel. Like (laughs) I wish you would just sit down quietly and watch it. Uh, but, uh, you know, I am just, you know, trying to figure out how to keep my son busy, but just like you said, they can only, you know, do so much and and they crave social interaction. My son craves it. He's this little social butterfly and I know he feels it. He just doesn't understand it, but right now practicing social distancing and staying quarantined is so important, um, just to flatten this curve. Like this is serious. I, I have, I was out exercising and, my neighbors came to talk to me and then her husband wanted to pick up my son. So at first when they came near us, I was like, okay, Zenny, we got to, you know, give him six, you know, six feet. We got, we got Jeremy's, you know, and I was trying to just give them a clue. Like, Hey, we're practicing social distancing. And they were like, Oh, don't worry about it. It's okay. It's okay. We know you're not sick. And I'm like, yeah, it's not about that. It's just, 
you just never know. And we just want to take the precautions. And so they, he was trying to go into pick up my son and I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm being strict and I do not want to get close. And I don't believe that you guys are sick. And, um, I just want to make sure that we're just doing our part. And so they went into the conspiracy theory and I'm like, look guys, and not to them, just in general to people. And I want to share this message is that regardless of conspiracy theory, regardless of political agenda, regardless of mass control, this virus is real and we have to do our part. And, um, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I want to, I want to get out of this quarantine and the longer that people are, I don't want to be in timeout anymore. Yeah. I don't, I don't leave the house unless I got to go grocery shopping and that I try to limit, you know, I try to get in bulk. I, I eat fruit. Me and my son eat fresh fruit and veggies, so I, you know, I have to go a little bit more often. But I, I try to limit that the amount that I go to the store now because it's just we gotta we gotta do our part and and flatten this curve. Absolutely, and you know what? This these little runs, like to go to Target and to walk around, and it's not cute. Stop doing it. Stop right. going to Target to go walk around and look at T-shirts. I, I need everyone to stay home so we can all get better. And I really am like sick of timeout. So I would like to come out of timeout and I would like everyone yes. to themselves right now because, uh, you know, the longer we keep doing this, the longer it's going to um, continue. But on to greener pastures. Yes. Um, I wanted to ask you, so I've seen your artwork. You've done artwork for one of my clients, Sash Coworking. Um, and it's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful mural of two people, uh, holding hands and it says, Oh, sesh, we can on it. Um, I encourage everyone to check it out and Amy will give you all her information at the end of this podcast to follow her work. But I wanted to know the number one question that I always want to know with people that are artistic. How did you know you wanted to do this and when did it start to become a reality for you? Yeah. Um, so I have been an artist all my life and I am thankful that my high school art teacher saw my potential and like really spent time with me, um, on her own time and used her own dime to invest in me by buying materials and things of that nature so that I could continue perfecting my craft. And I wanted to go to school full time for it. I'd actually gone into a really nice art school and my parents were just not supporters of it. Um, just one second. I'm getting a knock at the door. This is real time. Just a second. Hey, Shania. Hey. Oh, there we go. Sorry guys. That was real time. So I just got my TV delivered. So I'm set and ready to rock and roll with <laughs> Amazing. Yes. Show him all the shows. You know Wait. what? He doesn't watch that much TV because you haven't gotten him hooked to something yet. I know, right? That's why I was kind of afraid of that. I said, as soon as we get out of this quarantine, the TV's going back, but I'm going to have to probably pay. He's going to like, you know, he's going to like give me hell for. I mean, listen, Paw Patrol is very addictive. I've I've heard. His favorite show right now on Netflix is Word Party. Okay. I don't even know what that is, but, and then there's Disney Plus. So we can talk later because we have. Yes. Um, I I went to, I ended up, you know, I didn't know any better. I'm listening to my parents. I I grew up in a really traditional South Asian household where really the only viable careers is like doctor, you know, lawyer, architect, those kind of things. Uh, and so I went to college, graduated and now working in sales and I just wasn't happy and I just didn't feel fulfilled. And I knew that there was something more than just this rat race or hamster in a wheel. And so I just took a leap of faith and I started my business back in 2014 and I quit my corporate job and I started waitressing and I started uh, working on my business, like putting together my business plan, um, meeting other artists that can help me do this full time, you know, finding mentors. And I finally took the leap of faith and went full time in 2016 so in those two years, I'm waitressing, I'm just hustling and, you know, networking and having to deal with naysayers like my friends and family. You know, I had I remember my best friend at that time was like, what are you doing with your life? 
you know, you're a high, uh, a college graduate waitress, you know, waitress, like that doesn't make sense. Like you need to get your head in out of the clouds and all of these things, you know, my parents saying the same thing. And I'm like, y'all, there's a method to this madness. Like, trust me. Like, I know what I'm doing. Just, I got to stay the course and it doesn't make sense now, but it's all going to make sense later on. And I'm so glad that I stick to my guns and didn't allow like my parents or my best friend or anybody to kind of deter me from what I saw and the vision that I saw for myself to be now doing it full time for four years now and steady growing my business, steady growing my client list, um, making connections, becoming a subject matter expert within the field and to be thought as a, you know, a thought leader within the art industry is powerful for me. And it's almost kind of like, aha, you know, I did it, you know, in your face kind of moment. I mean, I think still to this day, though, my dad still doesn't understand like how I'm making money and paying my own bills. He's like, he doesn't comprehend it. I think he thinks like I have a sugar daddy or something like infusing like dollars into my bank account. And I'm like, you know, you can just, you have access, you can check my bank account. You can see the money coming in and going like there's nobody funding this, but me and my art. So um, to anyone that has this vision for their business and regardless of whatever industry, and if you feel strongly about it and you feel, you know, conviction, then go for it. And sometimes you have to make steps and sacrifices that don't make sense to other people. But as long as you you stay the course, it's going to happen. So it's not like a matter of if it's just a matter of when I didn't know when it was going to pop off. You know, I just knew it was going to pop off where I was going to be able to do this full time. So just I was just staying on my path. Right, right. No, absolutely. I mean, same thing here, South Asian. Um, there's only like three professions and it's a doctor, engineer, lawyer, et cetera. Right. And I went, ventured out on my own as well, worked in the corporate world for, world for so long and then started a company. And till this day, I'm asked how I'm actually able to survive. Um, and it's, it's, it's crazy that uh, those professions are needed and they're absolutely necessary. Shout out to all the medical professionals out there. Um, that are keeping us all alive and safe, but art is also needed and business strategy is also needed. So I think finding your niche and your passion is so important. And I'm so happy you did that because your art is so beautiful and it inspires people and I'm happy you're doing what you do. So, and I'm happy people are paying you for it. So on to my next question, which is we as women we start businesses, we start companies and I don't, I don't want to generalize, right? Because it's not everybody. It's most women I've spoken to, but not all have an issue charging people, um, a certain amount of money. They have an issue with, um, putting their price up with the competitors because they feel like they're not worth as much as they want to charge or people are going to say no to them. Or they're just going to walk away and then they'll lose that business. What advice do you have to those women or people in particular that just don't feel good enough or have that imposter syndrome to not charge enough? That is such a great um, question. I mean, we all go through it, especially in our early phases of, you know, running your business and you're trying to figure out, you know, what the market is looks like and um, what your competitors are charging and all of that. And also feeling confident and asking for whatever that price is for your product or service. You know, for me, it was a gradual step, but I've always like known what my worth was. And even when I had people like, oh, you're just a beginner, you just started your business. I don't know, for me, I was just like, this is it. Like, this is my value and I'm not succumbing. And if you're not willing to pay, I'm totally fine holding off till someone is ready to pay. And I just didn't go into the mindset of scarcity of like, oh, I got I got bills to pay. So I need to lower down my price for my artwork so that somebody would just buy it. So I have like $100 in my pocket. I just believe that everything was going to be okay. My bills were going to get paid for and I was going to find the right people that wanted to buy my work at you know, the, the price that I was selling it for. And there wasn't any, um, like question around that. And 
example, so I had an inquiry, someone had um, passed on a lead to me for a, a potential mural project. And I always ask if they have a budget on the front end, because I want to know where they are, if they're in a discovery phase, or are they serious, you know, just where are they in the process? And how, um, how committed are they to getting a mural? So I always ask what their budget is. And, and then um, I gave my quote, so I quoted them two grand for the mural. And they were like, Oh, you know, somebody else quoted us $500. And I was like, Okay, well, you know, I, I asked who the artist was, they told me and I, you know, I didn't, the, I knew the artist, I was like, Hey, they're legit artists, I really don't know. You know, the only thing I can say is that they don't do this full-time a so their work is being subsidized by their full-time income or however else they're bringing in income and then b um they don't do murals so they're not taking into consideration the budget that you know you got to put together and all the little things that you know uh you have to take into uh, consideration when you're pricing out a mural project and i'm like well this is my price and if you feel compelled to go with him, I, I don't blame you. But this is why I charge what I charge. I do this full time. And they end up going with me. That's amazing. And I, and I asked them, I said, what was the deciding factor? And they're like, you know what, we're a women owned business and minority owned, and we just wanted to support another woman minority owned business. And like that, to me was like, holy cow, they could have went with somebody else who was significantly cheaper than I was. And I vouched that they were a great artist. You know, um, their skill level, great. So there was nothing, they weren't going to get like a horrible painting job, but they still decided to go with me and pay me my price. And so I share this story a lot to uh, people because there is going to be, you know, potential clients and customers who are going to pay what you're worth. And and if you stick to that and have that energy, you're going to just attract more of that. Right. And I, I mean, that's really great advice. I believe in energy. I believe in putting whatever you want out there into the universe and it'll come back to you because I always tell people, it's like, Hey, focus on the color red and instantly your brain and your eyes will start looking for anything red in the room, you know? Right. So I, if you're focusing on, on getting more, uh, artwork or more jobs or more clients or more money or, or getting a certain number. I think that your brain and your whole body works towards that. I mean, there's a, there's a certain extent, right? You can't sit around at home and be like, I'm going to get so many clients and then just watch TV. There's work that goes in behind it. But I do believe that once you focus on a number, you're going to get there. But then my question to you is, so we're we're at the place where we're at now and I mean I've I've had moments in my life where I've been in a room with a bunch of people that don't look like me and you know are like white males in the world and I'm sitting in that room not feeling good enough for whatever reason. So my question to you is when you're starting out and you're an artist and you don't have a, really a body of work, right? You just have let's say your paintings you've done for family and friends. How do you come in and there's a lot of podcasts and books and advice out there, but they're not specific, right? Mm -hmm. And we're always left wanting like more. So how do you or anyone, you can only speak for yourself as an artist, come in and say, I have no body of work. Uh, this is my first mural I'll ever do. How do you prove your worth? And then how do you know what to charge? Like, how do you know? Do you ask someone? Do you look it up online? What do you do to convince them that you're the right person for the job? Man, Shania, you'd be asking some really good questions. I tell you, like, I like this. I wish this podcast was around when I started off. Um, yeah, I am not shy. I ask questions. So like when I started off, I was thankful to meet my mentor who was wanting to share the ins and outs of the business and I, he was offering to any artist that wanted it, but I took advantage. Like I was asking him how to write proposals. I was asking to tag along to meetings. I was asking to write like anything that he needed to get done. I was like, can I do it? Can I do it? Can I do it? And I was all up in his ass. Like I wanted to know everything because I was eager and I asked all questions. I didn't care how 
uncouth it was because I needed to know the answer so that I could do my own business. And he knew, like, he knew that that's what I was doing because I was a friend. I'm like, I want to have my own business and I want to learn. And he was like, yeah, I'm, and there wasn't really any competition because he was 20 years in the game. Like there was no way like there was a competition. So he was okay with sharing all the information. So one is having, you know, the courage to ask for what you want um, and not feeling shy. That's one. Um, and then two, you know, I, I was just honest, you know, if I want, you know, still to this day, like certain clients, they're looking at, you know, my portfolio and they don't see this and that. And I'm like, Hey, look, yeah, that is uncharted territory, but I feel confident to be able to provide that part of service in this project. And if I don't deliver, then I guarantee your money back. Like I would make a guarantee like that, but I know that I'm going to deliver. I need to figure it out. Like example, you know, I know how to do mosaics, but I've only done mosaics as an assistant, never as my own project. And so that's just a different, you know, type of energy when you're working on somebody else's project with their name on it versus you doing your own and your business is affiliated with that project. And so he wanted me to do this mosaic sign for his client that brought some real estate for him. And I said, yes, I took on the project, but man, I was a little bit, you know, green behind the ears. There were certain things that I didn't know how to do. And I just asked questions. I researched, I Googled, and I delivered a badass mosaic sign and the client is so happy with it. And so it's also taking the, you know, having the courage to take on a project that you may not know everything and feel a little bit um, overwhelmed or a novice, but there are people who are willing to help you more than you think you know. Yeah, even your own competitors are willing to help you. And so that's just in our nature. It's our human nature to want to help people. Um, right. It's just made in us. So if you ask, so you're going to find someone. And then it, again, it goes back to law of attraction. I knew that there was going to be someone who was going to help me kind of bounce the ideas and figure out the logistics of this, this project. And, and I did it. So now I know the answers to these questions and the way to do it. So I can tackle on a next project. And I asked, I asked for a, a, a lot, you know, a decent size, uh, I, I charged that man a decent, you know, a decent price where my profit margin was high. I think the thing is, it's being honest. I'm not putting up a front. Um, and I'm willing to do the work to get to where I am. Right. So that's, I mean, that's great advice. You're like, that's very inspiring. So my question then is when you're looking for a mentor, right. And you're an introvert and you're shy. And I mean, clearly your parents raised you right. And they raised you to be strong. Mm-hmm. There's people that come from backgrounds that they're not raised that way. They come from all kinds of backgrounds where they weren't raised to think anything of themselves and they were not raised to raise their voice and speak up for themselves. So these people that are now entering the entrepreneurial world or want to do something, their passion project want a mentor, Right. And you have your traditional routes. You go on LinkedIn, you go look Google mentor or whatever you do. Where do you actually find a mentor if you aren't raised to be a go-getter and a strong woman or person? How do you, where do you start? What do you do? Great question. Um, Just one little adjustment. My parents did not raise me that way. I think I was just kind of born this way, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, my dad still has with my strong opinions and strong personality uh and he it it clashes with him because he's traditional indian man you know so uh that's one thing but um i think it comes to being how what your outcome is if you're being outcome focused then you will adjust your personality type i'm not sure if any of you guys know what disc is it's one assessment of your personality d-i-s-c and each letter stands for a personality type, and we're a combination of all four. Uh, but the one, I think, one uh, thing that happens is that p- people pigeonhole, the, pigeonhole themselves. So, for instance, 
be like, I'm an S personality. So that, that means that I'm shy. I'm introverted. I'm not a go, you know, I don't go out there and put myself out there and all of these things. And so you almost use that as a crutch and an excuse to actually go for what you really want and need. And there you do have, um, it's in you for the people that are soft and introverted and shy. There is also a part of you somewhere deep, deep inside that is also can be extroverted if you want it to be. I mean, this is just my thoughts. And so, and there's ways around it. You know, it's going and asking people, networking, hey, I'm looking for a mentor. Do you know of anyone? I'm sure if you sat down and created a web of like six to seven people that you knew and then asked each of those people to name two to three people, I don't know what the math is, but shit, that's a whole bunch of people that you're like expanding to possibly attract a mentor to you. So it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go and be at a networking event and physically go. I mean, you have friends. So go and ask your friends if they know someone. I happened to meet my mentor through my business coach at the time. And when I was going through my business plan, he was like, oh, let me introduce you to someone who does something similar to what you're doing right want to do. And so that's how I met my mentor. Um, you know, I think it's if your outcome focus and your outcome is you want a mentor, then you will figure out how to get a mentor and your personality is not going to be an excuse or an obstacle to get that mentor. I love that. And I love that you said that you go out there and you tell everybody and you put it out into the universe what you want and it will come back to you. But I, I do believe that there's work involved. You can't sit in your house, close your door, shut yourself in and hope something comes and knocks on your door, you know, right. um, unless it's the TV that just got delivered to you. But other than that, <laughs> like, you know, and I think a lot of people read books and they read self-help stuff and they watch webinars and they Google stuff. And then they're like, yeah, but literally no one has told me how to do this. So I wanted this podcast to be about also being very specific in our answers on how they can take the steps to being what they want to be, you know, and thank you for your very specific answers because that's going to help people a ton. So then let's get into um, the financial aspect of being an artist, right? So artists are seen as amazing creatives. Um, they make beautiful pieces, but oftentimes they are, you know, they're, they're gone. They've left the planet earth before their art is worth anything. And so most, most people think, well, you can't actually make a living being an artist. You can probably make a living if you've turned out to be like Picasso or, or, you know, someone like that. And then your art will be worth so much more. What distinguishes and a, a, a good artist from a bad artist. And that's like, it's a very loaded question. And then number two, how do you make yourself valuable to people that think art is like Times Square painting spray paint cans on the street and selling it for $15? Yeah, uh, great questions. So let's see, uh, what was the first question? That was a lot. Um, oh, good or bad that's art. A lot. Yeah. What's the, like, how do you differentiate between good and bad art? I mean, it's subjective, you know, for me, art is subjective. So, you know, someone can come in and be like, man, Amy, your art is shit. And I'd be like, cool. Like, I don't really care because it's still providing. And then someone else comes in and it's like, wow, you're so amazing. Like I just had a lady two days ago who bought a painting, the original painting. And I'm like, she just dropped $300. She doesn't even know me. She saw it off of social media and was like, I want that. It's speaking to me. She's like, how much is it? I said, 300. She's like, done. Like, didn't blink an eye and was like, I want it. And I was a little bit, I mean, we all have these moments. Like, so don't get me wrong that I come across as this like strong person who doesn't have weak moments. Like I'm also human. I, when I gave her my price and she didn't say anything, I was like, oh shoot. So let me, let me try to make it more lucrative for her. Cause I wanted to sell because right now I'm not doing public art and I need to figure out ways, creative ways to bring an in income for my business. So I, I wrote on there and like, Hey, I, I can, you know, I'm, I can negotiate the price a little bit. Um, and she came back and was like, no, I'm going to pay you full price. Like, and I was like, Amy, 
sign. Don't do that shit, man. Like there are people who, you know, they value their work. Uh, So, you know, in terms of good and bad, I, I really, I think it's subjective. Now, if you talk to like artists who have master's degrees and doctorate degrees in fine art, you know, painting and things of that nature, we're going into a whole other, you know, realm of the archival is it is the painting going to be archival? What kind of canvas did they use? What texture? What kind of paints did they use? Is it going to last long? Like all of these things. So we're hitting a different, these are people who are going to be investing in art, who are going to be paying thousands of dollars because they know that the value of their art, the artwork that they're purchasing is going to only appreciate. I mean, it's like that Jay-Z song. He said he bought, you know, I don't know what he bought a painting or two and now it's worth, you know, 2 million, whatever. I don't know. I, the song, the actual lyrics, but he's talking about how he paid it a shitload of money for some artwork. And it's about to appreciate, it's already appreciated in value. I mean, so there's so many, you know, factors to take into consideration. Um, and like you said, it's a loaded question. So it just kind of depends on what angle you want to hit it at. Uh, what was the second question again? So the second question uh, to be very specific is how do you differentiate yourself um, from other artists to be more valuable. So, so yeah. let me give you two scenarios. You have the Times Square artists that are still artists and they're selling their like quick caricatures or spray paint um, paintings that they made on the street in 10 minutes for $15, right? Then you have the artist that just started out and is at a show, a local show, and they're selling a painting for $1,500, Right. Both of those are unknown people and both of them look exactly the same to me, the outsider, right? Do you think that one piece of art is worth more than the next if all the mediums used were the same? And number two, do you think those artists that charge $15 or $1,500 kind of mess up the game for the people that are just doing honest work? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's always like, you know, being talked about in the art industry. So I think the where the value comes is is on the artist, you know, someone so I did a Michelle Obama painting, and um, it sold for a really large amount. And it was just this guy off of Facebook, he was like, how much and I was like, 2500. And then I was like, Oh, shit, like I'm holding my breath. I'm like, is he going to go for it? He's going to go for it. And he's like, done. Can we split up into two payments? Cause I can't trans make a transaction that big from Venmo or whatever the, you know, that app was at the time. And I was like, holy fucking shit. This man off of Facebook just bought a $2,500 painting. And it was a big deal for me at the time because I had just left my abuser and I didn't have any income coming in and I was running low on the money that I had stacked up and I was going to have to put my ego to the side and ask my parents for money, which I did not want to do. And so when that came through, I was like, Oh, okay. By the grace of God, you know, I sold a painting and it's going to hold me over for the next month of all my bills. And then, and then I'll, you know, find something else to, you know, keep going. And so, um, it was my value and he saw my value and he, and he paid for it. So, there is a difference though for the people that are on the streets painting, you know, painting on the streets and selling it for $15. I highly doubt that they have their hands on high quality uh, paint. And some of them, are, you know, if they are painting on canvas, I don't know the quality of the canvas. There's things, so it's not really possible for it to be exactly the same. But I mean, I get your question because what if they're painting the same image? I mean, it just depends, you know, the artist, the, 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 marketing and the hype and the supply and demand that the artists themselves have created. Um, and then a lot of, a lot of your own patrons are buying your artwork because they know you as a person and they believe in you as a person, which, you know, is different than being a street artist and you're just painting for survival to get like some groceries the next day, you know? So that right. people are right. buying because they know you and they want to support you. Um, and then it fucks up the market. Yeah. I was just gonna say it does. It messes up the market because if someone like that's what happens in public art and murals, like that guy who quoted 500 and I'm quoting two. And this lady's like, why is that such like, why is he quoting 500 in 2000? 
well, it's not regulated. You can charge whatever you want to charge and whatever you value deem your time. But yeah, I can't, you know, it's hard to control that. For me, the way I'm doing it is I'm disrupting the status quo and I'm talking numbers. I'm being very transparent about it. Because then if we are transparent together as a community of artists, then we can start, you know, staying strong and and really dictating the market value. But it only happens in silos. I can't do that across the world. Because another example, I had a, cl- a potential client. And he told me he had a guy come in quoting 50 grand and wouldn't lower his price. He was like, nothing wrong with that. We can't afford 50 grand. It's not in the budget. But um, clearly he is getting someone to pay him 50 grand plus for his mural projects. I don't blame him. Right. <laughs> you know, He's finding people that are willing to pay that amount for him. So I think as artists specifically, you have the, it's a blessing and a curse, but you have the power to kind of dictate the price you want to put on your work. No, I, I totally agree with you. And thank you so much for being transparent with numbers and dollar amounts, because this is going to help so many people that are listening that don't know anything about it, but have a passion. And I, I believe as women too, I'm very transparent about what I make, how much I charge clients. I don't, when I talk to clients and, and bring on a new client, I will absolutely tell others what I'm, what my average charges per client. I don't disclose names and all of that other stuff, but I try to be very transparent because I want every woman that's doing what I do to make the same amount of money as me because there's more than enough for everybody. Um, it's, there's no shortage of money in the world. And but thank you for being so transparent about that because it's only helping others. So then my question to you is the, the person, that new artist that just painted a new canvas, right? Just like mm-hmm. was at home and painted something. And the majority of the people think it's just not great. But again, art is subjective, right? Yeah. Goes to an art show and stamps the price at $1,500. That's it at whatever, but then you kind of have to take into consideration of how fast your work is moving and does it make sense to price it at at that price. You can price it at whatever you want to. I love that. I love that advice. So another piece of advice, or if you could give the, uh, the listeners is how do you get new projects? Where do you get them from? Is it, do you advertise? Do you, are you active on social media? How do you market your business to get new clients? Yeah. So there's two ways. I mean, so there's, that's two questions for me. One, how do I get my public art projects? Um, sales wise, there are three websites, publicartist.org, uh, cafe, C-A-F-E, cafe entry dot, I think it's dot com. And I don't, I, I think those are the two, so not three. So two, two of those websites, they're national websites where you can find RFQs and RFPs. And if you don't know what that means, RFQ is a request for qualifications, uh, which you will have to submit a possible idea of the project, whether it's a mural, sculpture, you know, installation, whatever it is. Uh, the only caveat with that is, is that you're taking the chance that someone may, that the people may take your work and give it to another artist for a cheaper budget. Uh, it's, it's, unethical, uh, but it happens. And then an RFP is a request for a proposal where you don't have to share. I take that back. Sorry. Request for proposals where you're sharing your idea and request for qualifications. Just, just showing if you're qualified to do the project. And then usually once they uh, look through all the apl- applications, they'll choose X amount of uh, artists and you usually will get a stipend to show uh, your idea. Uh, which is probably the proper way of doing it. Um, so those are the two big websites that you can go look for work. You create a profile, put upload your portfolio, um, you know, artist statement, your letter of interest, all your works annotated list, uh, which includes the title, the full description of your artwork, size, the budget, all of medium used, all of that. Um, so that's one way. And then the other way uh, you could do, I get businesses through word of mouth. Uh, I follow up vigilantly with every client once I'm finished for them to write me a review uh, and get it on LinkedIn and on my website and on social media. 
And then I also advertise, I only have social media accounts for business and I give a little glimpse into my personal life so that they know who the artist is. But I use both my Facebook and Instagram for to get business. And that's how I get a lot of clients too. That is okay. Seriously. I never even knew any of that. So that's amazing. Um, thank you. You, you don't even understand how many people you're going to be helping. I'm going to humble myself and say not hundreds of people are listening, but if people, (laughs) they will be, but if people are findings of some value from this, they will share it, you know, and you can help one person. That's, that's a lot of people. And there's people out there that I told you, they go Google and they read books and they just don't know where to go because people are just not specific and don't share. And I appreciate you so much for sharing because this only helps people get better. Yeah. You know, the other part of it is that some people don't even use Google. You know, so there's the ones that use Google and do the research and they're not getting specific answers. Um, But then there's there's the other, you know, side that they don't even use Google. And I encourage Google is your friend. Just you got to search for it and you're going to find the answers and then asking people. It's really so simple. I think personally, some people just make it more complicated. And if you're telling yourself the story of like, oh, this is difficult, this is hard, I'm not finding the answer, and all this like this narrative, you're not going to find it. It's not you're not going to attract it to you. So it also everything, first and foremost, starts with your mindset and the narrative and story you're telling yourself, you got to, you got to first be aware of that. And once if once you're aware, and you realize that story is actually hindering your growth and your progress, then you have to rewrite it. If you need help rewriting it, talk to a friend that you know that's positive that can help identify the narrative that is creating the blockage and then help rewrite a positive narrative so that you can get abundance flowing to you. Uh, That's first and foremost, but everything is really at our fingertips. It's right there. We just make it too more, we just make it more complicated than it needs to be. No, absolutely. But I also think that when you're Googling, there's too much information sometimes. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I think that I when, you're, when you're going on Google and you don't know what to look for, that's when you get lost. And I think that's where podcasts, books, webinars, everything helps because it pinpoints yeah. to exact websites that you just shared with us. Where if I Googled how to get artist work, you know, it's, it's sure. going to be like 300 websites of what to do. And then you're so confused because there's too much information. So I think our jobs as people that have experience is to narrow down the search for them. And, and when they Google, now they know to Google publicartist.org, well, sure. you know, call for entry, et cetera. So I appreciate you sharing that. And it just helps people that you can waste hours on Google. And I think that the more we narrow it down for people and they don't have to waste hours and they can create with that, the better that is. Um, so I wanted to wrap, I could talk to you for hours, by the way, this could be a three hour podcast, but you can have you back on the show and you're always welcome back. But I wanted to wrap up with, um, what you said, uh, thinking positively, bringing what you want into the universe and going out there and just being a really big badass. Um, I wanted you to add any other notes you had, and then please share where everyone can follow you and find you and see your beautiful artwork. Yeah. I think the last thing that I just want to add, it's like, regardless if you want to be an artist or, um, or be in any type of creative field or an entrepreneur in general, the the differentiator between someone who wants to be that and someone who is that is the mindset. You know, they believe in it. They're willing to do the work. They are, you know, um, they're using law of attraction to their benefit. And that's a differentiator. It's not like they have, you know, a better set of cards and they had, you know, money to begin with and they have connections and all of these things. It's just the fact that they want to go for it and make it happen. And they believe in it. They believe in their dream. And so, yeah, some people have a stronger advantage than others. But at the end of the day, they're all doing the work. Like the people that hate on Kylie Jenner and saying she had a, you know, she really wasn't a self-made billionaire. I am against that. I think she is a self-made billionaire. 
because she had to do the work that her other sisters are not billionaires. They all, they all had the same advantage marketing, same, you know, momager, Chris Jenner, but why is it that Kylie Jenner is a billionaire and not the other sisters? Like, I mean, that's simple. That's a simple fact right there. So that's just my opinion. Um, but if you are looking for positivity and you are looking for, um, I do like these little car chats and I talk about things like this. You can follow me on Facebook, uh, on my business page. It's at the Amy Malkin, A-M-Y-M-A-L-K-A-N. You can also follow me on Instagram at Amy Malkin, A-M-Y-M-A-L-K-A-N. And then my website at www.amymalkin.com where you can see my work and purchase work for me as well. That is so amazing. I'm going to put that in the notes um, for the podcast as well so they can follow you there. Um, I wanted to thank you so much for joining me. I I honestly learned so much because this community is, you know, it's it's not my community. I love art. I appreciate art. I love museums. I love all kinds of art, but I'm not an artist. And thank you for opening up the artist world to us that are not artists and the ones that are want to be artists and the ones that are already artists. because. The more we share, I think the more we all grow collectively and together. And um, that's that's all. Thank you so much, Amy. And have fun watching TV with your two-year-old. <laughs> thank you so much for putting this together. And thank you so much for having me. Um, I look forward to listening to your other podcasts as well. Thanks so much. Thanks, Amy. Have a good day. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. Of like, okay, what they feel comfortable in asking and what their, their work is going at. You know, I could sit here and price my work at like $500,000, but I know it's not going to move because I haven't established my business in that way. Are there works moving at that price? Yes. But you know, I'm also taking into consideration how long I've been in the game, what my, you know, images, the, you know, all of these things I'm taking into consideration and pricing my work. And I'm slowly steady rise, you know, increasing my price, looking at my supply and demand, you know? Um, so I think to a young artist, you can price. Does that, so for me as an outsider, not an artist, for me, that like makes me angry because this person has no body of work, nothing to, nothing to show me and comes to an art show and has the audacity to charge that much. Right. But then there's another side of it. If I don't know how long this person spent on it. I don't know how long, how many hours she spent on it, how many, how much paint she had to buy, whatever, whatever. Does, is there advice you would give to people that are just starting out that have decided after listening to this podcast that they're going to be you when they grow up and they go and paint right now in their backyard and go to a show and, and price everything at $2,500? I mean, you can, you can price at 2,500. Um, only you'll be able to see if your work is moving at, you know, and how long are you going to wait till before your work moves? I think that there, I think it's kind of like trial and error. You know, I think eventually you'll kind of find each person's going to find their footing. Hi friends. Thank you again for joining me for another episode of For the Love of People. I hope you laughed and loved learning more about my guest, Amy Malkin. As always, you can follow me on Instagram. I am under I am Shania Khan. You can also find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter under the same name. I wish you nothing but health, happiness, and prosperity. Until next time.